we're in a series called God Never Said That. And so um, last week we talked about God just wants me to be happy. And so just a quick review on that. Uh, we said that there were a lot of things that were more important than happiness and that happiness was not a source, but happiness was a symptom. And so uh, holiness is we seek God and we gain holiness from God. Happiness is a byproduct of holiness. And so that's where we ended last week. Here is today's false theological belief. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. This was... Um, such a big statement. This right here could actually be a series in and of itself um, as we talk about this big looming question about does everything really happen for a reason? Does everything have a purpose? When we see something happen, when we go through a personal experience, we want to be able to, to justify it. We want to be able to bring some resolve to it and have some understanding to it. But there's a lot of things in faith that have ambiguity. And so um, we're going we're gonna to start this conversation this morning I may not be able to finish it, I'm going to be honest with you. I may run out of time, and if I do, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, may, I may finish it all online this week, I don't know. Um, but I'll come up with something, and we'll get the rest of, of it to you. But um, I want to start with this. I want to ask you if something like this has ever happened to you, okay? I'm going to make some statements, and I want to know if this has ever happened to you. I don't want you to raise your hand, but just answer it in, in your own heart. You lose your iPhone, and your Christian friend says, hey, everything happens for a reason. Okay, um, You get laid off from a job that you really love, and somebody says, everything happens for a reason. You come from an abusive home, and somebody says, hey, everything happens for a reason. You suffer from panic attacks. Somebody says, everything happens for a reason. Here's one that's really touchy, but maybe you have multiple miscarriages. Somebody says, hey, everything happens for a reason. And then they, they say something even more dumb. They'll say something like, God just needed another angel. Okay? Um, we got to do better than that, right? <laughs> okay, uh, a family member dies from cancer. And somebody says, hey, everything happens for a reason. This is something that I, I don't know how it made its way in to um, our language, but it has. It's like we want to say this cliche to people to kind of, I don't know if it's to eliminate an awkward moment. I don't know if it's to try to, you know, take a stab at encouraging um, or just trying to help people, you know, shake them out of some type of, of mindset. But it comes across um, like uh, very superficial, very shallow of just, hey, things happen because everything happens for a reason. This scripture I'm about to give you in Romans, I think, is where most people would attribute this mindset comes from, that everything happens for a, a, a reason. You know it, but I'm going I'm to use the NLT this morning. Uh, Romans 8.28, this is it. And we know, he says, that God causes everything 
to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. And so many have taken this verse that we know that God causes everything and they've kind of just stopped. And they haven't really taken the rest of the verse, so they haven't taken it into context about what Paul is really trying to teach this group of followers. But this is not what it's saying. It's a powerful scripture, but I think a more accurate interpretation of Romans 8.28 would actually be that God can work within his people and their circumstances to bring about good that he can take something you're involved in and he can spin it, that he can take something that we would like to be out of and use it to grow us, all right? But I want to talk about why do things even happen and let that be kind of a starting point. And I don't know if I'll even get past all of that this morning, but if you're taking notes, I want to start with this one. The first thing about why do things happen is because there's a creator. There, there, there are things in motion and in place because there's a deity, because there is a higher power. There's an authority, okay? Now, to us, that's Jehovah. It's, it's God. It's, it's this, this trinity that even in and of itself sometimes is difficult to put into words and explain. But there are two continuums when it comes to God's unabating involvement in our lives. Okay, now I want this to be very clear, and I do want this to be one of your takeaways today. Food, food for thought. There are systems, and there is sovereignty. And most of the time, we are experiencing one of those two. And sometimes we, on occasion, we experience both of them simultaneously. So God, as a creator, things have happened because of his hand, because of his will, because of his want, because of his desires, because of the way he sees the world, because of the way he sees you and I because of the way he's framed in eternity, and we are not right now, okay? And so there are systems, and there is sovereignty. Now, let me tell you the difference between those two. Systems are ever in motion because God told them to be in motion. Things like the universe, I do not believe, and you can, we're not going to argue about it, but I personally do, do not believe that God is, is like holding the universe and he's doing this the whole time. You know, he's like, he's, he's like conjuring it up and he's, he's oh gosh, i got to spin that again and i got to do this. i got to, okay, got to make the sun come up. Oh, yeah, i got to make it go down. And, and, and suddenly we see God's like active hand moving the planets, I don't think that. What I do think is that the universe responded when God created it, and it became a system, and it works because he said it, okay? And so planets are orbiting, and gravity is being caused, and the closest star to us is outside the, the sun is four light years away. 
So galaxies are expanding and things we can't ever explain and the end of it we're never going to reach. Why? Because it's a system. It's something God put in place. He made it. He designed it. He's a creator. And even though we try, we only have an inkling of understanding about the galaxies because it's a system. The weather is a system. If we could control it, we would, right? If, if we could control it, we would, we would have incredible climate all of the, uh, the time, no humidity. Today, rather than this mess, I would pray for three foot of it. I mean, if we're going to have it, let's have it. But it's a system. It's something in place. It works on its own. The climate changes. We have solar energy. We have the shifting of winds. And all of these things we cannot control. It's the weather. Biology is a system. Males and females can procreate. There's things as complex as DNA, immunity, Things that biology and, and the system therein takes care of because God told it to. I cut my finger and it will heal because God designed it that particular way. It's a system. The cycle of life is a system. We are born and we will surely die. It is a cycle. It will happen. It is coming. It is the inevitability of death. And it will happen to all of us. Why? Because it's a system. It's in motion. God told it to work, and it does. The physical science of matter is just amazing that atoms hold everything together. Your nose stays on your face because atoms hold it together. The whole world is comprised of it. Why does that work? Because God told it to. And so these are things that you and I experience and walk in daily and deal with daily because there's a creator. We deal with life and death and the weather and the universe and the properties thereof. We deal with all these things, and they're part of our experience, but they happen because God told them to happen. But then, here's what, what you've got to really get is you have zero control over a system. We try to manipulate it. We have health care as advanced as we can possibly get right now to this date. It's ever-growing and expanding, and thank God for those who are dedicated to it. But understanding of the human body, of biology, is still limited. But then there comes this big one, sovereignty. That things happen because of sovereignty, right? Let me give you some examples. And let me just describe sovereignty for just a second. Sovereignty would be dominion. Power, jurisdiction, to be able to walk in the room and be the most important voice there. That's what God is. He's sovereign. He's the authority. Sovereignty would, would, would be this. It operates within the system, and sometimes it hops in. 
So you think of this universe, you think of the worlds were framed, you think of all those things that he put in motion, but yet he decides out of nowhere with sovereignty to jump in and he makes this for God so loved the world that he gave sovereignty. And suddenly a savior is born of a virgin. He invades both the world and biology and breaks the system. Invades it. Overrides it. Why? Because he's sovereign. The weather that we can't control, he says, peace, be still. And it responds. Sovereignty. The biology that we can't quite put our hand on, he says, take up your bed and walk. Sovereignty. The life cycle that you and I celebrate and then weep over, he says, Lazarus, come forth. Breaks the system with sovereignty. But here's also the big truth. You cannot control sovereignty. Just like you can't control the system. So when we're praying, we're asking God to join the system with sovereignty. And sometimes we see the hand of God move. And when we do, we recognize it. So much so we've given it a word, miracle. That we couldn't do it. We were at the end of ourselves. We couldn't make it happen. We tried our best. We put the best team around us. We spent all the money we could. We exhausted our resources. But in the end, it was the hand of God that changed all of this. And sometimes it happens for you, and sometimes it does not happen for you. Why? Because you can't control sovereignty. I often think about that guy who was at the pool of Siloam. I'm sorry, at, at the pool at Bethesda. And he's, you know, those five porches. And he walks in. He says, well, Lord, while I'm going, somebody else hops in ahead of me. And he says, do you want to be well? And he ends up, he, he heals him. I always think about, what about the guy beside him? So much so that one time I, I, I wrote a message from his perspective. Like, what about me? You know, I've been here this whole time too. I've been praying the whole time too. Why does he, why does he get to get up and go? I'm going to be stuck here again until the angel comes and stirs the water and I hope to jump in. Why can't you just wipe out the whole porch? Because sovereignty makes its, its own choice. God does things. So the core belief that we've got to have this morning is this. God does no harm ever. And if you don't have this at the center of who you are, you are going to struggle to follow Jesus. God does no harm ever. That he's good. And that's the end of it. That there's no conniving, there's no wringing of hands, there's no, oh, I'm going to, I can't wait for you to mess up. When we get it out of our mind that God is like a mythological creature like Zeus with a handful of lightning bolts 
hoping that we mess up. See, if we get rid of all of that, we live with so much more freedom that God does no harm. So what's happening to me is not by the hand of God. Am I I involved in systems that he created? Yes. Are things in motion in my life? Yes. But anything I'm experiencing, I can grow from. It's going to end. It's going to move on. And who am I going to be at the end of the process? That's the bigger thing. So we got to believe God does no harm ever. Because the line between systems and sovereignty is comprised of strategy and sympathy and splendor. That sometimes God does something with sovereignty because it's a strategy. Give me an example, Kevin. John chapter 9, man is blind from birth. The disciples are arguing back and forth, Lord, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither one. He was born blind so that the glory of God could be revealed in him. And we read that and we go right right by it. But you you don't realize that what he just did was dropped a huge principle of heaven on the scene. Because what he was saying was that guy was born blind so that one day, I would come along and heal him, and God would receive glory from changing his circumstance. Strategy. Sovereignty. People always ask me, well, you know what? If God causes no harm, then why did he destroy mankind with a flood? If God causes no harm, then why did an evil spirit from the Lord be on Saul? If God causes no harm, then why did God give Hannah a double portion? Because the Lord had closed her womb. If God causes no harm, then why did God allow Job to be tested? And part of that testing was the losing of his children. Strategy. Bigger purpose. And sometimes it's sympathy. Sometimes it's walking by and saying, do you want to be made whole? Then be healed. You want your daughter to live? Then rise up. Sometimes it's sovereign. Sometimes it's just, it's grandeur. It's splendor. It's the awe of God. It's stuff that makes you want to get on your face and seek him because he's showing out as a a creator. Ravi Zacharias, the great theologian, says, says this, As God, he can do whatever he chooses to be right. And it is right. That we almost have to back up and say, who are we to contemplate the things of God? Who are we to to sit back and say, God, was that really the right choice? Who are we? Because when that stuff happens, it's almost like you got God in your pocket. And, and, he's, and he's manageable to you. And your thoughts are now higher than, than, than his. That, that your discernment of the situation was right and his was wrong. And you have to realize how dangerous this is. Because there's something as simple and pure in our faith that says, you are right and whatever you choose to be right is right. Sovereignty. Systems. Okay? The second thing, why do things happen? 
because of chaos. You and I were born into it. We were born into a mess, war, poverty, sex trafficking, the abuse of children. Do you know that almost one billion people have died in historical wars? One billion people because man cannot be at at rest. There's also a spiritual war that we didn't start, but we're certainly involved in it. And so will the generations after us. We are not at rest. History is proving this to be a problem. Every generation, restlessness. Every generation, tempted. Every generation, under tension. Every generation, wanting more, wanting to do more, wanting to gain more. We're at chaos. Third, because of choices. So sometimes when I land in the middle of something and I say, why are bad things happening? It's, it's not that God has done something. It's not that the system has done something. It's not that there's been an absence of sovereignty. It's that I've made a choice, and the choice has brought results. Are y'all with me this morning? This big question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a tough one, isn't it? We look back and we go, why in the world would that happen to them? Why would, why would that circumstance unfold for that person who we know is morally sound, full of integrity, godly, and so on? If, if, if I use an example here, here here's what, what tends to happen. We look at things and we say things like, God, thank you for providing for me. Thank you. Okay? And that's, that's great. That's a great prayer. But... You see, when, when, when the pendulum of that prayer swings the other direction, does it mean that when we see a homeless person that God did not provide for them? So we go from, thank you for your provision. Thank you for doing something for me. But you didn't do anything for them. And that may not be true. Not playing devil's advocate for just a moment, but it may, may be that there was a lot of choice involved. There's a high, high percentage. You guys already know this, but there's a high percentage of the homeless population that struggles with untreated mental illness. It could be a choice, a refusal for help. It could be, on the other spectrum of that, a refusal to take on responsibility, some great studies about homelessness communicate that there's also a percentage of them that says, I enjoy this life. I enjoy not, not going to work. I enjoy not being connected to anybody. I enjoy having zero responsibilities. I enjoy that. There's some choices involved. Okay? So I want you to think about this for just a minute because why do bad things happen to good people is not as vague as we think. Because we put ourselves in some toxic environments. I want you to think about this. How many times in your life have you found yourself in a toxic environment that you volunteered for? You put yourself in it. You surrounded yourself with toxic people. You made best friends out of toxic people. And suddenly your life was loaded with toxicity. You're like, why? Why do I why is my 
worldview changing? Why do I feel so negative about everything? Why am I suddenly feeling so, so bad about that? And why am I always finger pointing now? Because you've loaded your life with toxin. It's nothing God's done. It's not the system's fault. It's not the absence of sovereignty. It's our own choosing. We enable people to take advantage of us. There are times, and I've, I've told you some of these things about our negative church experiences, and we laugh at those sometimes, and sometimes we want to cry about them, and sometimes we want to shake our fists at them. I think back on some of that. You know what? I allowed some people to take advantage of me. And I, I should have walked away a year sooner, two years sooner. I don't know. But I, I allowed myself to stay in it. And the whole time praying for sovereignty. We date and even marry the wrong people. We connect our lives with, with people who aren't believers, who don't, who don't see the... And I'm not, I'm not trying to say you need to denominationally line up. But I'm saying it's very, very difficult for you to, to date and wed an unbeliever and pray for sovereignty that that person turns. And then we wonder why we're struggling so much. And then we got ladies trying to be the spiritual leader in their home because their husband won't lead them spiritually. And there's tension and frustration. That's a choice. So you can't go, why, are, why is bad things happening to me? You made the choice. It's a result. We overspend. We have zero margin. And then we pray for sovereignty. God, let me win the lottery, please. Jesus' name. I promise. I'll pay all this off and give to the church. Right? Just spin it. Just turn it. But overspending is, is a choice. Zero margin is a choice. We don't put God first in our choices. We let our emotions lead us. We, we're excited about something, so we just do it. We pull the a trigger on it, and then we pray that God comes over and joins it later. And when he doesn't, we're like we're mad at him. All because of choices. We are the common denominator of the choices we are making. This also means that other people can make bad choices and we are directly affected by them. We've all been hurt by someone else. We've all felt the sting of another person's issue. Because we're tied in, we're indirectly involved, but we're so close that the tentacle of the issue touched our lives too. Fourth, because of chance. All right, because of chance. There are things that are not systems and they're not sovereignty. There are things that are not driven by choice. It's just chance. Things that we, don't, that we don't choose. You don't get to choose your birth family. Because some of you would have changed parents. I know, because you told me you would. You don't get to choose that. You don't get to not choose cancer. It's come to the healthiest of, the healthy of, of people out there. It's come to the, those that, have a terrible diet like myself. 
it just, it happens. You don't choose it. You don't choose to be abused. Those are things that are indirectly coming to you. It's, it's chance that at that moment, right there, that, that the car ahead of you was unscathed and yours got hit. That a tornado came and the house beside you, not a shingle was blown off. And yours is nothing left but a concrete foundation. Chance. God didn't steer that tornado. He didn't put that on you. Nobody chose it for you. Let me give you an example. If I'm riding in my car with you and I hit a deer... You know we're in Arkansas. When you know nobody's preaching this up north. If I'm riding in my car with you and I hit a deer and I total my car and I have to pay the deductible and I break my hand, but you are not harmed. Why did that happen to me and not to you? Here's my big theological answer: just because. It just did. It's just chance. And if you were to say to me at that point, everything happens for a reason, I would take my good hand and I would slap you with it. So it's important that we talk about these things because they, they happen. And some of these things you've tied up into your faith system and the way you see God and the way you're looking at your particular circumstance. And now you're hurt and you're bitter, and you're confused, and you're struggling, and people leave church over it, and people close their Bible over it, because they believe that God has caused them harm. So when we believe that everything happens for a reason, it causes us to ultimately see God as as the top authority. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. He could have stepped in, but he didn't. And so therefore, by default, he becomes the source of all of our pain. What people really need when they experience pain is somebody to walk through it with them. Paul said in the book of of Romans, he said, mourn with those who mourn. Come around each other. Put your arm around somebody. Encourage somebody. Speak a word over somebody. Be used in a spiritual gift with somebody. Mourn with those who are mourning. Isn't it what Jesus did? He sits with us in the pain. But he shows up at Lazarus' home. Isn't that what he did? He came around him. He loved him. He cried with him. C.S. Lewis, his famous quote, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts. In our pain. So since we all have to deal with pain, and the reality is that some of us are right in the middle of it, I want to give you just a few things to walk away with today. i got a few minutes left. I'm going to get as far as I can. The first thing is pain is going to be present. Get it in our theology. Pain will be present. It will find all of us at some point in our experience. It's not because of the system or, or it could be because of, of, of the system. It could be because, you know, sovereignty is involved. It could be a choice. It could be chaos. It could be chance. Pain is coming. It will be present. John 16, in the NIV, Jesus tells us this. He says, in this world, 
you will have trouble. And he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You're going to experience it, but there's a door. You're going to experience it, but there's going to be resolve. There's going to be relief come. I've overcome it. Take heart. I think Jesus told his disciples this because he didn't want them to think that the adventure they had just signed up for was about to be comfy. That they would always wake up in a great mood and the decisions that they were going to make was, were always going to be easy and that they would always feel God close by. No, he made it clear there's going to be some trouble come to you. But he doesn't stop there. He says take heart. When you break that word down, it really means this, gain courage. Be full of courage. In the middle of your pain, have courage. In the middle of your confusion, have courage. Because I've overcome it. History records that almost all of the disciples were martyred for their faith. Peter, crucified upside down in Rome. Matthew, stabbed by the sword in Ethiopia. Andrew, crucified in Greece. James, beheaded in Jerusalem. Bartholomew, flayed, which means skinned alive. And then beheaded. Stephen, stoned to death right outside Jerusalem. Thomas, speared to death in India. Matthias, stoned, then beheaded in Jerusalem. Mark, he died after they dragged him by the neck through the streets of Egypt. Luke, hung by his neck in Greece. Jude, shot to death with arrows. Paul, beheaded in, in, in Rome. In this life, pain will come. And I think given these circumstances, we're in pretty good shape. Come on, somebody. right? It ain't that bad, is it? Okay. When you've been flayed, come talk to me, right? These examples prove that we are not insulated from pain, but yet we can gain courage. And as hard as it is, it's important to let that reality sink in that we are not immune to pain. To physical pain, illness, aging, fragility. To emotional pain, trauma, anxiety, sorrow. To relational pain, loss, divorce, loneliness. To spiritual pain, sin, shame, separation. We are not immune to those kinds of pain. Second, pain is a process. Pain is going to be a process. In some cases, it's a long one. However, the process of pain will strengthen and will refine you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 in the NLT says this, So be truly glad. <laughs> there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. He says, listen, be happy. Be full of joy, even though... Even though there's going to be some trials that you're going to have to endure. These trials, watch, will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. See, in order to refine gold, it is heated until it melts. The impurities separ separate out. The dross is removed. But without the heating and the melting and the separation, there can be no purification. We have to go through that process. Psalm 66.10, for you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. Sometimes the things that are happening in our lives is just the purification process. It's growing our integrity. It's growing our character. It's growing our faith. And according to this verse, faith is greater than gold. Third, I'll close with this. Pain can serve a purpose. I heard Craig Groeschel say this statement live. 
and given the context, it was even better than me just saying it this morning, but this, this is what he said. The distance between where I am and where God wants me to be might be my willingness to tolerate pain. To get me from where I am to where God wants me to go and me not abort the process is going to be my ability to tolerate pain, to tolerate hurt. God always sees the bigger picture. God never does harm. God always wants to use our experiences for a greater purpose. That's what Romans 8 means. I see where you are. I'm going to get involved, and I'm going to take your circumstance, and in the end, I'm going to work it out for the good. Do you know that people that have the most compassion for others have often experienced firsthand what it feels like to be uncared for? Do you know that the biggest lovers of people are sometimes the ones that have been hated the most? Sometimes the biggest givers are the ones that grow up with nothing. It's because of pain that people can relate and identify with other people's struggles. And Paul said this to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 1 and 4, he says this, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them, watch, the same comfort that God gave us. Since we've experienced his love, we become experts at giving it. Since we've experienced forgiveness, we should be experts at forgiving. Since we have received comfort from the Father, we should be experts at comforting, at mourning with those who mourn. Let me end. There's a big, deep story about David and Saul. Biblically, David is one of the most written about kings, certainly. And David was anointed to be king before, while Saul, rather, was still in power. And so what happened with David, David was anointed, and David went right back out to the sheep field and started keeping sheep again while he was anointed to be the king of Israel. However, he experienced the presence of pain in the process of it for years because Saul hated David. He saw the giftedness on his life. He saw the favor that he was given with relationships. He was a gifted warrior. He was popular, and it turned his heart toward him. Nine times he tried to kill him. So David goes on the run. He's hiding out in caves. And this process taught David lessons that he would have never learned. David wrote the majority of the Psalms in pain. Do you know that Paul wrote a large portion of the New Testament in prison? But David's leadership, hear me, was not forged when he was king. It was while he was running from one. God prepared him while he was in pain. So here's my last question. Where are you with this?
Do you sit here this morning and you've got that little bit of bitterness that you've let take root? Do you believe God's caused you harm? Has your filter for the things in your life, the bad things that happen, is the only answer you have is that God did not get involved? Is that all we have? Where are you with it? Okay, because that's what I want us to pray about this morning because some of you might really need some surgery. You might really need the Holy Spirit to come in and remove some things this morning and let you really wrap your heart around God does no harm ever, right? Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? I'm going to pray over you.